So, I, I, I did this, I wrote this sermon quite a while ago actually, and I've sort of been waiting to, to bring it to this church, because I wrote it when I was going out on my travels, you know, as I do. And um, I've, I've not preached in an evening service since last year, I don't think, so it's been a while. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to, to sharing this, because I love this story. It's, it's about Jesus meeting a woman at the well. I'm sure a lot of you know it quite well. And I, I love how Jesus, every story when Jesus encounters women in that culture, I just love every single one of them, how he elevates them, how he values them against the culture. And that, that to me is amazing. But this one in particular, um, I, I just love it. Um, so it's quite a long chapter, John chapter 4. Um, so if you want to turn, you can. So rather than just read it all through, what I'll do is go through a little bit by little bit so we can take it in little by little rather than just be overwhelmed by too many verses. Uh, so that's what we'll do. So if you, if you have got your Bibles, Tony's going to try and keep up. <laughs> so we're going to start um, from verse 1. Nice place to start, Tony. I'll, uh, I'm sure we'll be fine. So we're going to start looking at John uh, verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, just to start with. So it says this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. And that last verse is really interesting because it's written that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to. But while it is true that that was the shortest route from Judea to Galilee, where Jesus was traveling, the shortest route did go through Samaria. However, most Jews would have done a different journey. They would have done the same journey, but they would have chosen not to travel through Samaria. Because you know anything of the history of this time, the Jews and the Samaritans, they did not get on with each other, to put it mildly. Um, you know, think England and Wales, but, <laughs> but even, even worse. Sorry, guys, I know there's a couple of English in us. We got a meteor, didn't we? Huh? <laughs> Number one in the world. <laughs> what, not, nothing happened the week before, did I? No, didn't think so. But, you know, this sort of rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans, it would have started way back in the Old Testament um, when Israel was, was split into the northern and the southern kingdoms and, and this hatred towards each other had continued even right up to this point where Jesus is entering the scene. But even though most Jews, remember Jesus was a Jew, even though most Jews would have done everything they could to avoid Samaria, Jesus travelled straight through there. So the Samaritans didn't scare Jesus. He wasn't intimidated by them. They didn't put him off. He didn't see them as a lesser people than the Jews. He loved them. And he knew that they needed to hear his message. So he went straight there. That's why it says he had to go through Samaria. Jesus knew they had to hear his message. So instantly as we begin this passage, as we begin this chapter, we see that Jesus is kicking down barriers of race, of nationality, it's lovely to hear Gerald saying, you know, he's the only black guy in the church, but he feels so welcome. And that's why he should be in the church. 
Because that's what Jesus does. He gets rid of these barriers, nationality. He gets rid of any stereotypes of the Samaritans that I'm sure the Jews would have said, oh, they're this and they're that. But that's not what Jesus is like. Jesus goes straight to a people that aren't exactly like him. What about us? Are we intimidated by people who aren't exactly like us? I think sometimes we can be. And I think even as churches, sometimes we can fall into this trap. We tell ourselves, oh, we can't reach them. We can't reach this group of people. We can't reach the people around us. They, they won't understand us. Um, we can't, I can't find anything in common with them. How am I meant to reach them when we've got nothing in common? But if we look at Jesus' example, we see that he ignores all the excuses, everything that we could say, and go straight to the people that he was supposed to, as a Jew, not get on with. Because he knew that it didn't matter about any of that. He was there to share the gospel with them. So let's follow his example when we meet people who aren't exactly like us. So it goes on, verses 5 to 9, says this. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sichar. Anyone got a better guess than that? Anyway, whatever it is. It's near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Remember that, because that's quite important. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans for all the reasons that we've just established. So it's one thing that Jesus goes to Samaria and speaks to a Samaritan. That's bad enough. But now he's speaking to a woman. You don't... Different culture, calm down. In that culture, women were classed as second-class citizens. Like, terrible, I know. But that's how it was back in those days, a very patriarchal society. Women weren't educated as much, and men did not associate with women, especially not Jewish men, with Samaritan women. This was, like, unheard of. But once again, we see Jesus breaking down these social barriers. Doesn't matter if you're a Samaritan. Doesn't matter that you're a woman. Doesn't matter that I'm a Jew. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to connect with you. So, I, as I say, it's crazy that this Jewish man is speaking to this Samaritan woman. It's, it's hard for us today to imagine, to think of the social context of this interaction. But this would have been unheard of, as I said. But when have you ever known Jesus to do things exactly like everyone else? That's why I love him. Another point to make about this Samaritan woman, we read in verse 6 that it was about noon. It was the hottest part of the day. So the fact that this woman chose this time to go to this well tells us that she didn't particularly want anyone else to be there because no one would go out to draw water at the hottest part of the day. She seems to be a complete outsider. And we may get an idea of why that is as we read more later on. But basically, this woman wanted to be alone. She was probably tired of people talking about her, making fun of her, judging her. She did have a past, like we all do. And she probably wasn't proud of this particular past. She hadn't lived a perfect life. Yet here was Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, who had travelled through Samaria specifically 
to encounter this woman at this well at this time. And that to me is amazing. And what we can learn from that is Jesus cares about you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter if you feel like an outsider and no one else cares about you, Jesus cares. Maybe some of you this evening feel like that woman. You know, we know we've got a less than perfect past. We're used to people judging us. We like to spend our time alone, away from everyone else. We feel like an outsider, maybe even in this church. And I hope that's not the case, but maybe that is how you feel. We don't feel like we belong anywhere. But Jesus says, you belong to me. And he wants an encounter with you. He went to that well to speak to that woman. And each one of you are here tonight, not by accident, because Jesus wants an encounter with you, because he loves you. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to know that you matter. Even if you don't matter to anyone else, you matter to God. And once we matter to God, it doesn't matter about anyone else. So going on, verses 9 through 11. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? I love her reply, bless her. So verse 10, Jesus is, is giving her a clue about what's happening. He's, he's trying to draw her attention to the fact that she's not just talking to an ordinary man. Jesus starts to talk about this living water. He's trying to move the conversation to a spiritual level. But how does the woman respond? She's basically trying to tell Jesus in the nice, nicest possible way that he's being a bit silly because he's forgotten his bucket, basically. <laughs> to That's my paraphrase. She's like, how are you going to get water without a bucket, Jesus, you silly man? So, typical men forgetting their, you know, whatever. The problem is this. She is still thinking of the physical needs when Jesus is trying to tell her about her spiritual needs. And this happens to us all the time. We get so concerned with what we need on a material or a physical level that we don't spend any time to think of our spiritual need or, or to know what God is trying to do in our lives. Sometimes we want God, not because he's God and because he's so amazing, but it's because of what he can give to us rather than wanting God just for the joy of knowing him, just for the joy of knowing Christ. Jesus is telling this woman, look, if you receive me, if you accept me, then I will satisfy a thirst that is greater than anything that you can think of. It's greater than this physical thirst that you're thinking of. But all she wants to do is to make sure that she has enough water to drink. And that's devastating. She's missed it. And this isn't the only time that this happens with Jesus. Just think a couple of chapters later in John chapter 6 is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, which I'm sure a lot of us know. And after this miracle, the people, they kept looking for Jesus. They kept following him around. But when they found him, once again, Jesus calls them out on the real reason that they're looking for him. In John 6, 26, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He's saying, you're looking for me because I gave you food. 
but you don't understand that it's actually me you want. And sometimes we hear this even in churches. Uh, we were talking about this prosperity gospel over lunch, actually. It's because people say, oh, if you accept God, then you'll get all this stuff. And that isn't true. What is true is you accept Christ, you get God, you get eternal life. He doesn't promise any more, but what more could you want if you've got Jesus? So there the people followed him for food, and here the woman is asking for water. Jesus wants them to hunger and thirst for eternal things, not just to fill the hole in their bellies, but to fill the hole in their heart. So going back to chapter 4, Jesus tells the woman in verse 13, are we there at all? Good. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's trying to make the point more clearly now. You know, if you drink this water, of course, you're going to be thirsty again. But there's a thirst in your soul for every single one of us that only Jesus can satisfy. And when we have that, then we'll never thirst again, spiritually speaking. Because he, he is everything. And this is the message that God wants every single person to hear. We spend our days chasing things that will only satisfy us for a short amount of time. We chase money. We chase success. We chase sex and relationships. We chase cars. We chase houses, etc., etc., etc. But even when we get those things, after a while, the emptiness is still there. It might satisfy us for a short time, but only Jesus can fully satisfy the human heart. But the woman still doesn't get it. The woman said to him, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And you're like, oh my gosh. Ah, you ever had to tell someone something so many times? And the first time you're fine, after three, four times you get a bit annoyed. But Jesus is much more patient than me, praise God. But she's still talking about physical water. But how often do we do the same with God? We, we, we pray things like, oh, Jesus, give me more money, please. Or uh, Jesus, help me get that promotion that I want. Or Jesus, just, just grant me my spouse now. Uh, hey, wait, wait, what? <laughs> Why are you laughing for? <clears throat> Please, Lord. Um, <laughs> but anyway, what Jesus is saying is, he's standing there saying, I'm the, the one you should be asking for, not this other stuff. None of these other things are going to satisfy you. So at this point, Jesus turns up the heat. He's going to show even more clearly that he's no ordinary man. So he asks, he's quite sneaky, he says, go and get your husband. And she replies, I have no husband. And technically, she was telling the truth. She's a bit sneaky as well. The problem was that she was trying to be smart, and we can learn a valuable lesson here. Don't try and outsmart God. It doesn't tend to work. Jesus says to her, Oh, I think my sister did this recently because we sort of said that we'd go and see the Lion King together, okay? 
But then we went on a, a, a trip to see Lion King, didn't we? So I was like, oh, I have to confess my, you know, I've, I've, I, I went to see the Lion King with some friends from church. And she said, oh, well, I've already seen it. <laughs> and I was, felt so betrayed. And I said, I can't believe you want to see Lion King without me. And she said, well, I, never, I didn't lie. I didn't tell you that I hadn't seen it. I, you just didn't ask and I didn't say, so. Ooh, anyway, I forgive and forget clearly. Um, Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. She's like, what? She's thinking, uh-oh, b- busted. You've, you've caught me. What, what she said was true, but Jesus knows the whole story. You, you can't tell half a story to God because he knows the other half. Don't try and hide your sin from him. He knows everything about us, the good and the bad. Be honest with him because he already knows. He just wants to hear it from us. And he wants to help you in that. Notice that that Jesus isn't judging her. He's not telling her how awful she is because she's been living with a man that isn't her husband. He's not doing that. He's simply stating the fact. Listen, this is how it is, I know. He isn't saying he approves of this. There's a difference between being a loving someone and affirming a lifestyle. I think the church needs to understand that. He doesn't because he doesn't affirm the lifestyle because it, it's against God's law. But he, at the same time, he isn't trying to make her feel terrible or ashamed about it either. Am I making sense with that? The question is, would religious people today react the same way? And sometimes the church hasn't reacted in that way. And it, now you think of all the stereotypes and the preconceptions of the church is wrong because that is the way we've acted so many times. So she says, sir, verse 19 now, Tone. Oh, he's already there. (laughs) Fair play. She says, I can see that you're a prophet. So she's getting closer. You ever play that game, hot, hot and cold? So she's hotter, hotter. So she says, I can see that you're a prophet. She's getting closer, but she still has a way to go before she gets to who Jesus actually is. So she understands there's something special about this man. He, he's not an ordinary man. So she thinks, okay, you're a prophet. So then she goes on to say, verse 20, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she realized that she's been caught out. She realized that this is a man of God. And so what does she, what does she do? She, she gets all religious on him. Talking about, how and when we should worship, the do's and don'ts of church, if you like. Haven't we done too much of that as a church? You know, look at the hundreds, at the thousands of different denominations in the Christian church. Each one thinking that they're right in the way to worship God. And we know that we're the right ones. But the truth is, we'd go a lot further if we spent less time thinking about how and when we should worship and spent more time getting to know the one that we worship. We'd go a lot further. But anyway, she tries to get all religious. It doesn't work. Jesus says to her, woman, that 
don't do that, gentlemen. But Jesus can say it in a very gentle and loving way. Jesus explains to her, it's not about how, it's not about when we worship, but it's that we worship in spirit and in truth. They're the important things. And through Jesus' love and his patience, we see that the walls of her heart are starting to come down. And now she starts to get real with him. You know, sometimes Jesus needs to do some work in people's hearts before they get real. And we need to give them that time. But that's what happens when we come to know Jesus. Even the hardest criminal can be changed by an encounter with Jesus. And we think of our friends in Vision of Hope and all the testimonies we've heard there. And as I was looking over this sermon again, that verse from that hymn, To God Be the Glory, came to mind. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Doesn't matter what someone has done, where they've been, one moment with Christ can change their life. So she finally tells him what she truly believes. He's finally getting to her heart. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So she's getting really close. But actually, she doesn't realize just how close she is. That the Messiah she's talking about is right next to her. Until Jesus then finally reveals to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. You can feel the the tension in this interaction. And it's interesting to me that throughout most of the gospel accounts, when it's revealed who Jesus is, he says to people, don't tell people what you know. He says, don't tell them who I am. But to this Samaritan woman, he openly reveals that he is the Messiah they've been waiting for. Because she matters to him. Because he loves her. So just at this amazing moment, like I say, you can feel the tension in the air. The disciples return. Classic disciples. Such an awkward bunch of guys who often seem to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. Have you ever walked into a room at the wrong time? And you go, oh, sorry. There's just tension in the room. So verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. You know, you can imagine Peter saying, look at this, lads. But no one did ask, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? You know, remember what we said earlier about women talking, or men talking to women in this culture. Well, this shocked the disciples, and it would have shocked the disciples when they saw Jesus himself doing this, going against the rules. But luckily, even though they often said the wrong things, the disciples had learned by this point that Jesus probably knew what he was doing so they didn't say anything but but you can bet they were all thinking it they were all thinking what's he doing talking to a woman but do you ever look at something god is doing and think what's going on Uh, god you you can't do that or god this is how you're meant to work not this way and we put god in a little box how he's meant to act but he does completely the opposite he breaks our little rules so often Where am I? We need to learn that God knows what he's doing, basically, is the lesson there. Verse 28. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. 
Now, this, as I was preparing this sermon, I remember this, this one little phrase in verse 28 that usually, it's one of these that you'd usually just skim over it and just read on. But it really stood out to me. It says, then leaving her water jar, just that little sentence, leaving her water jar. Remember at the start of the passage, all this woman was thinking about was how to get this water from the well so she wouldn't be thirsty. That's all she cared about. But now that she's met Jesus, she leaves that water at the well. Isn't that amazing? When we find out who Jesus is, when we come to know Christ as our personal saviour, when we encounter Jesus in our lives, when we come to know him, then all these things that we've been chasing for satisfaction, all the money, all the success, all the relationships, all these things that we've been looking to, we can leave them behind. And what a relief that is. We can leave them at the well. Is that true for us? Or are we still carrying our little buckets of water, even if we do know Christ? Are we still finding, trying to find satisfaction in these other things? So, getting to the end, this woman goes back to the town and simply says, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. And the people actually came. How many times have we thought about telling people about Jesus? How many times have we thought about inviting someone to church and talked ourselves out of it? I'm sure we've, we've all had that experience. Maybe we think, or oh, they won't respond. Maybe we think, oh, we're not good enough or gifted enough to invite someone to church in case they start asking questions and I won't know what to say. Or maybe we just don't care enough. But this woman gives us a perfect first lesson in evangelism. Hopefully we all want to be better evangelists in this room. So she gives a perfect first lesson. All she says is three words, basically, that we need to remember. Come and see. Come and see. She, she doesn't have all the answers. She, she's literally only met Jesus about five minutes ago. But she knows enough to know that people need to know Jesus. So she simply says, come and see. Our friends, our families need Jesus today. The people in our communities need Jesus. And you may not have all the answers. No one has got all the answers. But every one of us can simply give the invitation, come and see. Come and see who Jesus is. And then it says in verse 30, they came out of the town after this woman says this. And I think we'd be surprised how many people might actually come to church with us if we'd only invite them. We love a good moan in churches, don't we? And how the numbers are declining throughout the nation. But what are we doing about it? You know, it's one thing to complain about something, but are you being a solution to that problem? And I'd love to see more people into this church. And my, I'm literally challenging us to ask someone this week, come and see. Come and see who this Jesus is that I know. And just bring them along. You don't have to have all the answers. So th there's a little pattern here. So... We see in verses 39 to 42, um, it says this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. 
So they first believed because of the woman's testimony. She just said, he told me everything I ever did. Just a simple, short testimony. And your story will impact others. And it's great that we've been able to hear some testimony tonight of what God has done in your life, Beth. But never play down your testimony. You don't know the impact that could have in someone's life. And be ready to share with people, with your friends and with your family, what God has done in your life. Because that is your story. And nobody can take that away from you. And, and we mentioned that, that verse, that, that our testimony is powerful and we can overcome by the word of our testimony. And we need to share with people what God has done in our lives, just as this woman did. So that's step one. The next thing, Samaritans, the Samaritans asked Jesus to stay. And when they heard what he said, then they believed themselves. So they said, we no longer believe just because of what you said to the woman. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So like I say, this last passage gives us a simple but powerful pattern of evangelism. You have encountered Christ, if you're a Christian. Because of your life being changed, you then tell those people around you what God has done in your life. You say to people, listen to what Jesus has done in my life. He's changed my life. He's changed my heart. You share your testimony. You then invite them to seek God for themselves. You say to people, God is amazing. You need him in your life. Just make sure you seek him. Then, hopefully, you can say, come and see. They come to church. They start reading God's word. Then they hear the words of Jesus for themselves. And they believe, not just because of what you've said, but because they have now encountered Jesus for themselves. That's what we want to see for our families, for our friends, isn't it? But it, it does take us to do a little bit of work as well. So just to close, Jesus cared enough about a Samaritan woman who was an outcast in her community to meet her where she was at. He cares about us. He cares about those who don't know him. I don't know if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know Jesus. Have you accepted him as your saviour? You, you know, you may feel like this woman, you may feel like an outcast, but Jesus died for you. You only need to accept his forgiveness. And if we do know him, will we accept the challenge to simply say to someone we know this week, come and see? That's my challenge. And I leave that with you. Let's pray.